the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcasts. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. The ethical case against corruption is probably too obvious to need spelling out. And yet, until relatively recently, foreign bribery was essentially considered a tax-deductible reality of daily shipping operations. The fact that ships routinely carried an additional cargo of dollar bills, Marlboro red cartons and Johnny Walker black label, just in order to smooth out a vessel's passage through a certain port call or canal transit, well, that was just the reality of international trade. Bribery is the price that you must pay in order to enter some of the world's most difficult markets. So goes the when in Rome argument. Or perhaps it's just a case of speeding up the otherwise glacial pace of bureaucracy. But it seems that companies don't have to behave like a Roman to thrive in Rome, or indeed Nigeria. The hidden costs of corruption are almost always higher than the companies imagine. Corruption inevitably begets even more corruption. Those greasy palms end up slowing business, and thanks to increased digital transparency and sporadically enforced legislation, the likelihood of prosecution is also growing. Despite its reputation for opaque business practices, the shipping industry has, over the past decade or so, been going through a quietly effective anti-corruption revolution. When the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network was created in 2011, it started to tackle the issue of corruption on an industry-wide collaborative basis, instead of leaving companies working in silos against systemic issues of graft and dodgy dealings. It has been a quiet success story that has received too little attention in my view, but the impact has been dramatic. MACN today represents over 50% of the world's tonnage, giving the shipping industry significant leverage when engaging in dialogue with governments and institutions in order to stamp out widespread corruption. So to talk us through shipping's quiet corruption revolution, I'm delighted to say I am joined today on the podcast by MACN's chief executive, Cecilia Muller-Torbrand. Welcome to the podcast, Cecilia. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's start with the, the obvious question. Is the shipping industry less corrupt as a result of you being in it? Well, I do hope so. Um, I do think there's a various factors that have led to the involvement of of uh of how we tackle corruption in the past 10 years, I would say. I think it's important to remember that shipping is quite exposed to corrupt risks in the way we operate, right? We operate in high-risk areas. We have a lot of regulatory um, interaction. I mean, during a vessel clearance, there are multiple government officials that visit the vessel and we have global trade, right? So we travel from country to country. So if you're looking at those risk factors, we are exposed to high corruption risks. Um, so I do think that the journey we started in MACN is to kind of explain that there are, there are things happening in the world, as I think you were alluding to, um, in terms of, you know, more enforcement, more focus uh, on regulators on corruption risks. But at the same time, trade needs to run and efficiency goes hand in hand with good shipping operations. And how do you how do you meet corrupt demands, risks of red tape and at the same time want to become more and more efficient working in an environment where there is a lot of uh, corruption risk? So that equation on all those different factors, I think, is important to address. And that is one of the things that we're trying to do in SM. In, in MACN, how do we actually address that in an efficient way? 
and in in a sustainable way. One of the the barriers that's been stopping, I guess, action against this. Nobody wants to be paying bribes, but the the general consensus is that if we don't pay this small bribe, then it's going to be worse next time, or uh, in this particular vessel's progress is going to be hampered through this particularly dodgy canal slash port wherever they are. I mean, let's let's be clear about what we're talking about. We we could be talking about everything from a you know, port officials slowing things down unless certain payments are made to, uh, you know, a, a few cartons of Marlboro Reds speeding up passage. I mean, we're talking sort of fairly low level stuff at one end, but we are also potentially talking about, you know, much larger uh, bribes and corruption just in order to access markets at the top end. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, you can, you can <laughs> talk about corruption in different ways, as Spix led you pointing out. And I think one of the challenges we see in shipping that one thing often leads to another, right? So there is this <clears throat> tradition of a token of appreciation, right? That small gifts are handed out. It's what we would rephrase to today as facilitation payments, right? But many, in many, in many countries, that is a, like I said, a token of appreciation, a gift, uh, a gesture for doing a good job among the officials. So they will ask for this. And because it is petty corruption, it is facilitation payment, and it, it is illegal in most countries of the world, when the captain then rejects that payment or that request, <clears throat> in some countries, he doesn't know what the, what are the consequences, what does that lead to? Will they have more difficulties? Would that lead to a more severe situation further down the line? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do I mitigate that? And I think that's one of part part of where you cannot solve that situation in that particular moment, right? There's a there's a chain of events that needs to happen in order to prepare for that particular scenario, right? And that is well articulated policies in a company. You need to train your your people, right? You need to have anti corruption training. The the office needs to back these captains up, right? They need to be sure, like, so the captain when they're standing there and when they're standing their ground, they can say. I'm sorry, dear uh, public official, it's not me who, who say no to this. It's actually my company. We have a policy that they can refer to someone who is not in the room and they can maybe even refer to someone who is head of operation, general counsel, or something. They refer to someone so it's not only pointed on them, right? So it doesn't become a conflict between that individual and that particular captain. <clears throat> you have to anchor the whole methodology and the policy uh, much sooner than that before you actually have those difficult port calls. I think it's also important to 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 point out that it, when you are doing this, so we work a lot with prevention, right? You know, making sure you are aware of these particular risks in these ports. There is often a, a habit or something that is reoccurring, right? And knowing what those uh, common challenges are and eliminate those are also the key to success. Like, you know, in certain countries, they will go and they will might pick on yellow fever certificates or, uh, you know, ballast water um, management plans, etc. And then as a company, you can plan for that. And that's also part where MSCN, we now sit with these intelligence so companies can actually be better prepared. Does that mean that the government may poke on something the next time? Yes, but it's also about challenging the ongoing practices, which is part of the methodology. Um, and also around like who is actually supporting this. And I, I'm saying this over and over to companies that no one has the full responsibility to tackle corruption, but everybody has a responsibility. And what I mean by that is that in MACN, we have a value chain approach. So we have ship owners, we have ship management, we have port agents, we have flag registers, we have P&I clubs in the network. 
And if all of them, cargo owners as well, and if all of them are working together, supporting each other, um, informing uh, their supply chain and their value chain, so both up, what goes up and down about anti-corruption policies, then then you empower people on the ground to say no, and you they feel supported. Um, and then ultimately, we also work with governments, right, to 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 deal with this uh, this particular challenge on on what they can do on their end. Mm-hmm. But I think that's 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 what what it's it's about empowerment. It's what what a captain was referring to is about finding that moral booster, which I think is a really great word for for what they're trying to do when they're standing there and when they're saying no. What's their moral booster? And that could be they feel supported. They can have a cap. They can have a port agent standing next to them and have already informed the port official about the policy. Right. So the rejection of a corrupt demand is not uh, it's not a disrespect to the officials. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think fighting corruption is about psychology. It's about doing that in a respectful, calm manner because there's still people on the other side of this, right? So I think the more you prepare them for the policy, the more preparation you have, the more calmer can that rejection be, avoiding that no one is kind of losing face in that conversation, right? All, all very uh, well and easy for you to say as a uh, experienced lawyer sitting in the comfort of an office in Scandinavia, but you know, presumably there is a, a discrepancy between what we know should happen and what the reality of uh, daily operations in a West African port are going to be. So, I mean, bridging that gap between best practice and reality, presumably that's where the challenges lie for companies still. Yes, I mean, when companies come to us, um, I think I think they're, they're also like some of them are front drivers. They work with, with this these risks for many, many years and some feel like they really want to come and, and do a change. And of course, the change starts by being a, having a process in your company where you really try to design the solutions where the risks are, right? I mean, if you are, are forcing a training program, for instance, and you want to empower the captains, you may not want to start with a young captain that's calling West Africa for the first time. You want to make sure that you prepare a senior official that's been in his profession for a long time. He has called his ports before. Uh, you are supporting him. Um, you are speaking to him constantly during. You can also prep him before he has a port call. So you can really empower people and have them prepared and then have them serving as guides and mentors for some of the junior crew in 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 your in your fleet, right? Mm. Because Regardless what company you're in and what you do, there are these champions who sit with a lot of intelligence internally. They have done this for years. They don't accept these type of practices. Um, we speak to captains over and over again, even if they have never been trained, they have found ways to do this because they just simply don't think it's the right thing to do. And it's about finding those, I think, ethical champions in a way and build that on a positive success story, right? Because you are, you're going to be faced with so much skepticism along the way that this is never going to work. Um, you know, the countries are too tough. You know, it's it's too stressful. It's too painful. But really, there are people that has a lot of these intelligence, even internally in, in their own company. And they can serve as mentors and sharing best practices, in addition to what we have seen working in MACN. I mean, this is not me 
sitting as a blonde lawyer in Copenhagen uh, trying to uh, figure out what working. This is actually tips and tricks that is coming from people who are working on the ground, right? Mm. So we are trying to have good tips and tricks that is actually working instead of sitting in it as a as a compliance, uh, you know, dictating terms that we're not sure really works, right? No, no, sure, sure. I mean, I I, I mentioned West Africa a couple of times for being terribly mean about uh, that region, but it does have something of a reputation. Let's be honest. Um, I, where where are the, the without naming names specifically, where are the hotspots and that still exist, and what are the problems that are harder to resolve than others, in your view? Yes, I mean, I do think you you pointing out West Africa, and I think people who are uh, you know working in the shipping business would would see that that is a region that does definitely come with with challenges, and and the Black Sea as well, and there are parts of North Africa where we can also see challenges. So there are definitely regions that. I think, uh, you know, links up to any other corrupt risk assessment. I mean, the shipping industry is not unique in terms of where it sees its risks, right? If you look at mm. Transparency International Corruption Perception Index, for instance, that points out high risk uh, corruption uh, in certain countries, those will not deviate specifically from what, what the shipping industry is faced with. So, um, but I do also see for, for shipping, it is a, um, that ingraded token of appreciation or facilitation payment demands is quite, um, it is ingrained. It's a part of our tradition. I do think there are countries where, where with a good compliance program, you can make really good progress and you can do it in a safe way, right? You can do it where the, the captain feeling power and at the same time, they are successful in rejecting these demands. So, and there are certain areas that we touched upon, like West Africa, where Black Sea, where I think MSCN's role is also to empower individual companies because they're not alone, but also where we work actively with the government in poking them and encourage them to see the benefit of actually addressing this on, on their end, right? Uh, that is not just about the perspective of the industry or the perspective of of the seafarer, right? Which is, of course, uh, very stressed in these situations. It's also to bring out the perspective of why government should work with us on this agenda. And you've mentioned that that word partnership a few times and working with governments, obviously important charterers are in on the action. I note that um, uh, friends of the podcast over at Synergy, uh, Rajesh Uni has recently joined your uh, your uh, boards and you've had a few other industry um, uh, figures join recently. How, how important do you think it is that you get that cross section of the industry sort of working together in order to promote this? Because it can't just come from you guys. This has to be a, a collective action and uh, you know that figure i mentioned at the uh the top of the podcast 50 percent of tonnage now represented by mac and that's quite extraordinary yes i mean i think that's 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 a fantastic number and i think that that shows how how we have you know grown over 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 the years we you know the first meeting we had in 10 years ago we were eight companies around the table right and now we are 153 representing again that value chain i think that value chain I like to call it value chain, might sound cliche, but I do think it's really important to say that, you know, we all have this role to play, right? And 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 I think we saw it particularly when we started MACM because we had ship owners who were uh, very active and they say, we can't do this without the cargo owners or we can't do this without the port agent. And then we were bringing the port agent on board as an example, right? And they were saying, well, we need support from the ship owners. Um so, so I think that the whole when we, we have this this different uh, trade partners around the table, it's very easy to 
facilitate an environment where solutions are being discussed, right? Instead of saying, you know, we can't do this because this particular stakeholder is not in the room. It's very easy to point fingers at someone who's not in the room where you have everybody around the table listening to these challenges. Um, the kind of joint approach comes pretty neutral. It comes pretty um, pretty quickly, right? Uh, it becomes a way of, of discussing. It becomes a way of involving everybody who has a role to play. So I do think that's that's one of MACN's uh, success pillar in combination with it being an industry initiative. So when you're joining, you're joining such a discussion, you're joining because you have a, some kind of common denominator, right? Mm. There are lots of compliance forums out there and lots of other forums where you talk about anti-corruption. But when you're coming into a room and you're actually uh, taking part of discussion of something that involves the operating environment, the trade efficiency, something that relates to your commercial needs, uh, because it's it's how you run your business, right? I mean, cargo owners need to have supply chain partners to run, you know, trade operations, right? So port agents need their customers to be on board because they are serving the ship owners. So when you have everybody in the room really um, recognizing there is a problem, it becomes very solution oriented um, in combination with seeing that you're actually joining an industry initiative. Um, so you have common discussion points, ports, operation that you can easily uh, relate to. I think that's 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 one of the successes, I think, for, for why MICN has, has been able to, to move forward and create an industry momentum on this. And do you think the, the tide has changed a little bit in terms of compliance generally? I mean, 10 years ago, compliance was on the agenda, but I wouldn't say it was foremost in most people's minds with the advent of technology requiring transparency, uh, the shift towards transparency around emissions, um, sanctions compliance being that much more onerous uh, in terms of the requirements from banks and charterers and trading partners wanting to make sure that they have triple check they're not going to be um, falling foul of uh, US legislation. All of that pushes towards a much more rigorous uh, approach to transparency generally. Presumably, that's had a positive impact in terms of what you're trying to achieve as well. I absolutely think so, for sure. I think that the, what triggered the engagement 10 years ago was the enforcement of the UK Act. I think that was kind of the first step of, of where companies were saying we have something specifically because the, the UK Act tackled and focused so much on, on petty corruption, the facilitation payments, and made a very clear communication. The government, the UK government, made a very clear communication strategy around how they actually see this as, as being corruption and how they plan to enforce that. So, of course... Um, that was something that that kind of started uh, or helped, I think, MACN to say we really need to do something more than just having an anti-corruption policy. They're just lying that it needs to be implemented. It needs to have a policy. And then, as you said, legislation around different topic um, uh, has has increased. The focus from shipping has also increased on on the more the regulatory landscape, like you say, sanctions, but also sustainable development goals, you know, the SDGs 16 and 17, which really talks about ethics, which really talks about collaboration. I think that should also be, that's something that companies, we see companies more and more, uh, you know, they have to have that in place, like you say, both for investors, from cargo owners uh, or big multinationals, et cetera. So I do think that also plays, um, that they can see the link to what MACN is doing that goes beyond a, 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 a compliance exercise, right? It also links to the company's 
broader goals and achievements they want to have in this field. So I do I do think that that plays a role. So definitely, um, yeah. And do you think uh, how does shipping stack up compared to other industries, for example? I mean, are we are we doing better or worse? Would you say than the, than than other sectors in terms of stamping out corruption? Well, I do think that I I think it's really important with MACN, and I think that's that's what we are proud of it as as a secretariat, but also because many of us who works in the sector comes from the industry, and we have the board who are actually sits as as industry representatives, are members uh, of MACN as well. That that this is an initiative that the industry should be really proud of because we have taken a massive problem, corruption, which any other business are dealing with, but we have we are now recognized. Uh, also outside the maritime community for being a very well-established initiative and very practical with good results, good impact, uh, and a very innovative on how we see corruption being tackled, right? We really take um, the issue of corruption, not only trying to put it into a traditional compliance program, we instead trying to build practical solution that actually works on the ground because in the end of the day, um, why are shipping companies doing this? Uh, of course, there's a risk of prosecution. There's a, you know, stricter enforcement from authorities, but it's also the perspective of the seafarer here, right? That there is, there is someone that is super stressed about calling certain regions, West Africa, Black Sea, et cetera, other parts of the world because, because of the risk of, of corrupt demands, right? The consequences of that. And I think that the more we can link corruption risks with making a better work life for our masters and seafarers, that is also an extremely important link that we have been able to make within MACN and as an industry where we're well, way, way advanced compared to maybe maybe other businesses, if I may say so. Wonderful. Uh, Cecilia Muller-Torbrand, Chief Executive of the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network. Um, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Thank you.